When it comes to cybersecurity, the number one, I guess you're only as, as, as strong as your weakest link. And in many cases, when it comes to cybersecurity, the weakest link is the users, the actual you know, human beings behind the computer. Welcome to the Business Behind Your Business, conversations to help your business grow and thrive. Hi, I'm Paul Sweeney, founder of Predium Solutions, chartered accountants and certified business advisors, hosting the Business Behind Your Business. Welcome to the Business Behind Your Business, and today we're joined again by Luke Iacovelli from Unitech IT Solutions. So welcome back to the podcast, Luke. Yes, thank you, Paul. Good morning, everyone. Great. And Luke, last time we had you on the podcast, we were talking about, uh, I guess, IT for small business, but we mentioned cybersecurity and and, and really that's a, a topic or, or a number of topics on its own. So we're going to have a look today at cybersecurity and why every business needs to be aware of it and have a strategy for it. So I guess, look, it's traditionally... It's viewed as the domain of the big companies that they're the ones that are attacked the most and suffer, but that's not really the case. But before we talk about cybersecurity, can we actually define what cybersecurity is? Because I think there are people out there with different understandings of, of what it actually is. Yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously, uh, cybersecurity has become a really big uh, topic or, or buzzword or, or theme that seems to be reflecting right across business. Uh, micro, small, medium, and large. Uh, in essence, what cybersecurity is, is any form of external attack or penetration of your network environment, whether that is uh, on-premise with servers in a system or in the cloud. Uh, and the idea behind that is to cause disruption to your business operation or extract data from your network for the purposes of collecting ransom money or, you know, causing some sort of inconvenience to the business through the use of your data. That's a high-level sort of uh, overview of what uh, cybersecurity essentially is or a cyber attack. So cybersecurity is all of the mechanisms around that to help prevent those attacks from happening uh, and to help sort of uh, protect that uh, company data as best as possible. Mm-hmm. So in terms of cybersecurity, we tend to look at what we can control and the things within our within our office or, or computer environment, our own environment. But a lot of those cybersecurity issues can affect us from outside those walls. Absolutely. So uh, a perfect example would be um, in you know in recent times with, with COVID, a lot of organisations have sent staff home. They're working in remote environments, and so the situation becomes you know a staff members using their own personal computer to gain access to company emails or company files. The company has no control over that person's personal computer, yet that computer may have been compromised, which essentially opens the doorway for the cyber criminals to get in. So in that particular example, a business may have all of the measures in place to try and prevent cyber attack from happening, but their personal computer has been essentially the mechanism to get in so it's not just your corporate network environment it really is quite across any form of technology that uh, a personal user may use um, you know in an environment to gain access to that sort of information 
Mm-hmm. So there's multiple ways that this can happen, and, and so you, you mentioned a few of those. Uh, what are some of the more common ones that small business owners particularly need to be aware of? Look, I guess um, you know th- th- there's many different ways that cyber criminals get into networks, or you know uh, attempt to try and get into networks. Probably the biggest one would be ransomware, which that tends to affect far more of the small to medium business space. That's essentially um, finding a loophole, getting into the network and corrupting all of the data on the systems, whether they be on-premise or in the cloud, and basically holding the business to ransom. You pay us some money and we will release that information to you. That seems to be the biggest one that we see a lot of in the small to medium space. Um, And there's three outcomes that can happen from this. Either you pay the ransom and you get your, your data released, you pay the ransom and you don't get your data released, um, or you pay the, re- or you you know uh, attempt to pay the ransom, and they come back to you and ask you for more money, and it just becomes a vicious cycle. Um, there's a lot of uh, case studies out there that have described all three of those examples, and you know the, the outcomes. Some have been favourable, some have not, um, but that tends to be more typically the type that we see in that small to medium space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess uh, so ransomware, how does that come in? Um, I think at some point we were talking before and uh, there was a statistic that you came up with that said like nine out of ten cyber attacks begin with an email. Now, yeah. what, what are the ways that, that happens? Yeah, look, generally what, what you find is is when it comes to cybersecurity, the number one, I guess you're only as, as as strong as your weakest link, and in many cases, when it comes to cybersecurity, the weakest link is the users, the actual, you know, human beings behind the computer. You could have the best systems in the world uh, doing what they do best, but if someone clicks on something or does something at a user level, then you you can potentially compromise a lot of the work. So with ransomware, generally what happens is it comes in via an email. So uh, an unsuspecting user is sitting there going through their emails. They suddenly receive a random email. Uh, Possibly, you know, some common ones are, you know, Australia Post, taxation office, electricity bill, utilities, that type of stuff. They look, feel, um, are laid out and behave very similar to what, you know, the user is used to. They might be expecting the parcel. They may have to pay their bills. They click on a link. That does two things. They can either at that point be requested to enter some information, which out of necessity or habit the user does, or clicking on the link introduces the virus or the ransomware into the network, and that ransomware could either happen instantaneously or sit dormant in the background for a period of time until it's uh, you know something triggers it to be activated. From there, so generally, emails very, very common. They can come in from other methods, such as you know, um, sending out um, you know uh, emails with an attachment, uh, and if there's no virus protection or the attachment hasn't been scanned, also clicking on web links and certain you know uh, websites that aren't properly protected. So there's a multitude of ways, but emails, as I said, nine out of ten times, it's usually an email that will trigger it off. Mm. And- so you described a situation where a, an email comes in looking like a valid email, mm-hmm. and that I think that's got a uh, there's a term for that. 
that, that kind of email? Is, is that what yes, that, correct. Absolutely. So the, the, a phishing email and, 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 you know, the essence of that is, is to collect information from a user. So the phishing email tends to be the one more where you have to actually enter in some information yourself. So you might click on that uh, Australia Post link, for example, and might ask you for an email address, possibly a mobile number, some other information. You enter that information in. You click the button, it captures that information. That might happen, that phishing process may may happen for months. Uh, and what these cyber criminals are doing is essentially collecting this information about you. They're building a profile, as much information as they can about you, date of birth, email, mobile, whatever it might be, to then use that information to initiate some sort of cyber attack, whether it's, you know, to your bank, it's whether it's to your mobile account, whether it's to your, you know, 365 systems, whatever it is that it might be, um, to then introduce ransomware or, you know, hold you to ransom for some some purpose. So um, phishing emails are becoming far more sophisticated now than they ever have. Um, they are looking and feeling exactly like, you know, what a user is expected to see from that particular organisation that's supposed to have sent it. Um, and so you're none the wiser. Mm-hmm. And and the I guess the cyber criminals they they work on uh, spread the net as widely as I can, and if they catch a few fish, then absolutely. That's a good day. Yeah, it's a numbers game for them. So they will distribute, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of emails. And the idea is, it's not the big. So they're they're after a small amount from a lot of people, so a, a numbers game from their perspective. Um, and so, you know, that's sort of how they make their revenue. And I use the term revenue because cyber crime is actually a business, you know, that it is a professional business that exists uh, and not many people are aware of that. But, you know, cyber criminals have access to exactly the same systems that everyone else has. They've got development, they've got a black market, they've got everything that they need to be able to professionally <laughs> uh, attack your business and, and, and get that information. But the one that seems to be um, just linking back into the to phishing emails, um, what, what tends to happen nowadays is um, what they call um, domain spoofing, whereby if you have a domain, so in our case it's unitech.com.au, U-N-I-T-E-C-H, they will grab that domain and they will register a spoofed domain such as unitech.com with spelt with a K or they might drop the H. They'll make a very slight variation to the email domain. Now, most people when they receive an email are not sitting there looking at who's the sender, checking the domain. All they know is that Luke works for Unitech. He sent me an email with an attachment. Therefore, it's deemed to be legitimate. They haven't checked my domain. They haven't done all that sort of stuff. They click on the link and away they go. So they're even getting sophisticated to the point of, um, you know, spoofing domains in the world to make them look as identical as they possibly can. And generally you find the spoofing emails uh, exist when there's, you know, financial transactions that take place between businesses. So, Mm. you know, sending bills, you know, I need to have this deposit paid. They spoof the domain. They send out a fake invoice with separate bank account details. The money's transacted and it's gone. 
Yeah, so and I guess there's some well-known brands in there, and, and you did mention the financial. So we're talking about the the, the Australian Taxation Office and yes, um, Centrelink, mm-hmm. um, Australia Post, mm-hmm. um, PayPal, and Tel- Telstra comes up quite a lot. Yes, and, and uh, even like um, accounting packages like Zero, and, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure about the others, but I know that there there was at one point uh, a series of, I guess, phishing emails purporting to be from Zero. So a lot yep. of small businesses use. Zero as our accounting package, mm-hmm. um, so that you do need to be careful. And and I think this is where we tie into it, it not just being an IT issue; it's a, it's also a people issue. And no, understanding yeah. who you're dealing with, knowing yeah. who you're dealing with. Yeah, the common misconception is that uh, cyber security and cyber crime it's an IT issue. Uh, it, it is, but it's not the only issue. It's actually not really an IT issue; it's a management and business issue. So everything from the user right through to the systems in the back end, everyone is responsible for being aware of it and everyone is responsible for trying to mitigate and avoid it as much as possible. So, um, you know, it's not just your IT supplier or, or, or manager or team that's responsible for this. Everyone across the organization needs to be. And it really, really starts with end user awareness. That is by far the biggest um, uh, and most important point to mention, educating the staff about being aware of cybersecurity, cybercrime, what to look out for, but even having the discussion to say to them, look, looking at our business as a whole, where do you see the potential cyber risks so that we can put measures in place to mitigate that. That is a very important conversation to have with everybody, you know, from reception to accounts to, to finance to operations, the whole lot, because, you know, the bigger the organisation, the more doorways there are for them to get in. And, and a lot of businesses are using, you know, a lot more technology now. They're really um, uh, capitalising on the cloud and how that works. So, you know, your operations team in the factories are using systems which are different to the finance and accounting team, which is different to, you know, the sales guys, which might be using a CRM. So you've got all these different systems, um, quite often independent of each other, um, you know, being managed by different vendors. And so there's different levels of security in place with all of those uh, vendors that needs to be, you know, reviewed. That's why these discussions are very important to have. Mm-hmm. So we're talking in there. There's a good example of different, like I guess, slightly larger organisations with different areas, uh, different yep. job functions using different yep. tools. Um, but if we sort of scale it back a little bit and look at your, your typical small micro business or even your medium sized business where there might be ten or fifteen employees, mm-hmm. it's not uncommon these days for them to use, I guess, say five or six main software tools or applications, but also link in with other. Uh, I guess more generic processes like you know your PayPal, your Google, um, mm-hmm. Microsoft, and that. And there's a number of connections because you know a lot of this software is designed to integrate. But where are those connections having happening, and and who's controlling the data in that situation? Yeah, well, look, um, when you've got multiple vendors, quite often you're paying fees to those individual vendors, and therefore it is the the responsibility of the individual vendors to be um, providing the support for that particular product. Um, So, for example, a client that might be using uh, 365 for their emails and SharePoint data may also be using Xero for their accounting. They might be using another CRM for their 
you know, client management and relationship systems um, or Salesforce and things like that. There is a lot of integration now that exists between different platforms um, and quite a lot of that integration, um, not many people are aware, but you can actually centralise a lot of that through a single level of platform. So, for example, you know, if you're using 365, you can set up a single 365 sign-on, which will integrate with things like Salesforce and other applications. So you're you're eliminating as much additional configuration and work that's required at the different vendor levels, centralizing them as much as possible so that you just log in once, you manage one user and one account in one location, you apply those security measures at that level, and that's then fed through to Salesforce and some of these other CRMs. That's not always the case as not not everyone is caught caught up or at the same level, but um, where possible, it's always advised to look at that type of, you know, single sign-on systems, um, you know, and we've helped a lot of clients look at that and sort of say, well, look, there are integration tools with these different platforms. You know, if we've got, you know, the high level of security in 365 and we've introduced multi-factor authentication and all these other security measures at a 365 level, they will feed through uh, and apply to all of these other vendors. The other problem that, or the the other thing that happens too is these vendors will come back and say to you, well, look, you don't have, you know, MFA, for example, on your zero account, you need to apply it. A lot of them are making this mandatory now uh, and providing, you know, clients with uh, uh, deadlines as to when they need to be introduced. So we're seeing a lot more, you know, uh, uptake of some of these additional cyber because the, the vendors themselves are trying to keep up with the evolution of the cyber criminals. So it's just a constant battle, uh, you know, uh, a step forward in cyber security is a step forward in the attack. So it's a, it's a forever evolving um, sort of a fluid type of relationship. Yeah, and, and so you mentioned uh, multi-factor authentication. So yep. can you give an, a couple of examples of how that might work? Absolutely. So uh, multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication, as it's commonly known as, is basically two forms of logging in to get access to a system. So traditionally, it was a username and password. We're all very familiar with, with that sort of concept. Um, and what happens now is um, the introduction of multi-factor says, well, look, in order to get in, you need to either A, answer some security questions, which is a little bit uh, of the oldest type of method, or nowadays they send you a text message or a code to your phone through an authentication app, and you need to enter that code in. So on top of knowing your username and password, you need to also have your phone with you, which is assigned to yourself, which will give you that code. Um, if your phone is stolen or whatever and you don't have access to that code, you can't get in. So the purpose behind all of this is if you're busy working away and suddenly your phone goes off to say that someone's trying to access your system and here's the code for it and it's not you, you at that point can immediately identify that there's been a breach. You can deny them access from your phone and then take the necessary steps to reset your password and go from there. So that's being applied to things like your Apple ID, your your, your Gmail, Google accounts, uh, you know, Microsoft 365, that's now mandatory on all new installations. And right across the, the vendors that use cloud-based systems, MYOB, Zero, Salesforce, all of them are introducing this, 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 um, this concept. So going back to what I was saying before, um, you know, having multi-factor across all these platforms, if there's ways to simplify that and say, well, look, we put it on, on, on 365 when my user is created, and they got access to my network, 
some of those uh, integrations between those vendors applies the MFA right across the board. So you don't have to manage multiple MFAs either. You can manage them centrally. Uh, that's not always the case, but you know, it, it, the industry is working towards trying to simplify that process. Mm-hmm. And, and just quickly, because we're going to talk again in probably the next um, next episode in this series on, on that we're looking at of, of cybersecurity and, and the business consequences for it. Mm-hmm. Um, just touch briefly on what is the role of antivirus software or processes these days? Yeah, look, um, antivirus has come a long way. Uh, uh, you know, traditionally people knew it as being, you know, a program that stopped you from getting viruses on your computer. Um, so it, there's multiple levels and multiple things that antivirus does. I guess the term antivirus is quite quite uh, generic now. It's more of a unified threat management or UTM type of product and that also combines with firewall hardware appliance but in essence what it basically is is at its simplest form the antivirus is a program that's designed to protect your individual computer hardware phone tablet whatever it might be from viruses malware you know malicious content that is sent to you or transacted through you or that is picked up from website access and things like that. So someone gives you an email, sends you an email with a file, the virus protection antivirus filters that, it checks that document to ensure that there's no harmful items on there. Same with your phone, if someone sends you a text message with an attachment, that sort of stuff. Or if someone gives you a USB stick, I've got three files on here I need you to look at, um, you know, the, uh, is the are those files protected? That then stems into other things like anti-spam, which actually filters the emails. There's also, um, you know, web content filtering, which is monitoring your web access, you know, the, the, the pop-ups that you're getting, the websites you're going to, you know, are they secure, are they unsecure, that sort of stuff. So it's quite a comprehensive solution offering, and that can also be made up of multiple different programs. It doesn't have to all be the one. Um, you know, you can have you know, really sophisticated systems that utilises, you know, different vendors that specialise in different things to create, you know, a, a good uh, filtered level of, uh, of protection because you can never have too much protection. Mm-hmm. That's sort of yeah, what I so say. Yes, yeah, so there's multiple levels that you need to be engaged in and, and aware of. And, look, it's we I think we've all concluded that it's not just an IT issue, it's a business issue and a management issue, but there's so many um, different aspects to it. It's, it's one of those things that um, I guess really when you go into business, you're not, unless you're an IT person yourself, you're not going to be aware of all of these things and keeping up with it is going to take a lot of time. Um, so uh, there's a lot of value in, in engaging somebody to manage your IT for you. And, and look, is that something that's only available to large businesses or can small business utilise that service No, absolutely. Well? Uh, anyone that's in need of any sort of assistance from an IT perspective um, can can utilise that. What you tend to generally find is the larger organisations will have internal IT. Um, and in many cases, a lot of those internal IT actually still outsource to uh, IT companies because the IT companies or the managed service providers out there, um, their job is to be up to date as much as possible with everything that's happening because they look after such a large number of clients across a wide variety of different markets and different needs. So their job and MSP's job is to be 
um, as clued into every possible scenario as possible so they can provide the best level of support and service. Internal IT teams generally know one network. They focus on that one network and each person has a specific role within that network. Whereas a managed service provider, you know, their help desk staff will get 10 calls a day of 10 different problems that are totally independent of each other. So, you know, quite often, you know, uh, for a small business, they can't afford the internal person, they can't afford an internal IT team, so they will outsource that. And with that, they get, you know, a company that's got, you know, experience, knowledge, understanding. There's often a team of people. So there's plenty of resources and plenty of, um, uh, you know, uh, service that's available to them. And, it, you know, and they can be held accountable as well because, you know, they're managing the system and so they are the ones that, you know, come back with the recommendations and, and the steps to go forward. Mm-hmm. And is that a service that, that your company you absolutely provides? Yes, certainly. So uh, we, we've been doing that for 31 years. So um, we have a very long history in the IT game, uh, and we have uh, you know a dedicated team of guys here uh, with a range of different skill sets. So we are an MSP. So it is our job to ensure that we are up to date uh, with this sort of stuff. And uh, predominantly, we help the small to medium businesses in that space. We have some larger clients as well with internal IT who uh, like to outsource some of the sort of day-to-day stuff to us. Um, and we provide, you know, some consulting to them as well uh, from that high-level uh, integration perspective. But, yes, that, that is exactly what we do, uh, and uh, we've been doing it for a very long time. So we've seen a lot of things and we, <laughs> and we know a lot of stuff. So, um, you know, we, we certainly are capable of, of providing that sort of support. Great. And look, if our listeners want to get in contact with you, what's the best way? Look, they can certainly, uh, they can give us a call, uh, you know, the best number and, and, convi- and cor- you know, a, a correctly named uh, 1300ITHELP. <laughs> uh, they can give us a call on that or, you know, visit our website, unitech.com.au, uh, which has some more information about what we provide um, and they can certainly contact us from there um, and, and we can have a conversation. Great, fantastic. We'll put those details in the show notes and, sure. um, and yeah, look, we're going to continue this conversation about cybersecurity and I think next next time we talk we're going to be talking about some of the specific strategies that, that might be available to business owners. So I'm looking forward to that, Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll be uh, joining you again for a discussion on uh, some cybersecurity tips for small business. Fantastic. So thanks a lot for joining looking us. Looking forward. Thank you very much, Paul. Thanks for listening. Do you have a question you'd like our team of experts to answer? If you do, send your question to podcast at thebusinessbehindyourbusiness.com. To hear more from The Business Behind Your Business, don't forget to subscribe using your favourite podcast player. Or you can visit thebusinessbehindyourbusiness.com website.